0: in our our hearts and minds and eyes and ears to know you more fully, to see you in this community, and to see you in all that we do. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God. Amen. So we're going to watch a brief video um, and I am going to invite you. Did everybody get, uh, while, while we're watching this, did everybody get the um, strings? No. No? Okay. Uh, awesome. We have some awesome readers. I also only need the first part of this video. If that makes sense, there's like two ways. And then maybe for a little bit, can we just play it without sound? So that if people, like while I'm talking, if people are like, wait, how did we make those again? They can look up. Does that kind of make sense? Got it. OK, so watch. But we can have sound the first time around. <laughs> uh, Basically, these are friendship bracelets. You should <laughs> have um, the thread or yarn. Yes. You'll also need a ruler, a pair of scissors, a clipboard, and some buttons. You're good. We're going to improv a little bit. I'm going to show you two methods for making this bracelet. Cut six 25-inch pieces of string. You have that the together in your And then knot about two inches from the top. Do the knot. Clip this to your clipboard and separate into two bundles. Use the safety pin and put on it on the, the seat in front of The purple will stay on the left and the white will stay on the right the whole time. Just cross left over right, then bring it through and tighten. See, we're going to have this on on the other side. Cross right over left, bring it through, and tighten. As you can see, I always hold the opposite string steady as I tighten. This entire bracelet is composed of alternating knots. As long as you remember to alternate right and left, and remember that each bundle stays on the side it started on, you should be fine. Okay, pause it. Can you just rewind that a little bit? Um, Okay, so what I want you to do is get your knots. Everybody got their knot? Okay, yes. yeah. uh, take the safety pin and go through the knot and then safety pin it on the, like you're either, you could do your like pant leg or the seat in front of you, but I thought that would be better than buying, um, you know, 40 clipboards. So are we, are we good at that part? Okay, now you'll notice what I saw is like, it kind of makes a number four, right? And so then you make the four pull, pull and pull it through. So we're gonna have this, you can just play this, is that okay? Yep. And you guys, so I'm gonna invite you, here's the here's the thing, for some people, having something to do with their hands while somebody else is talking allows you to listen more. If that's you, awesome, we're gonna have a great Sunday. For others, you're gonna be like, what the? I do not know what I'm doing. That's fine, you don't have to do it, um, it's just something. Or you can just concentrate on that and not listen to me. That's good too, okay? <laughs> So, uh, enjoy working on this, and if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. All right? Okay. I will confess that I actually haven't made one, so. (laughs) 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 Nice. I was too busy working on the sermon. So, all right. Good luck, y'all. So, recently I read this article. Um, that named all of these possible scenarios that were related to the idea of meeting a new person up for coffee. The title of the article was, Everything I Am Afraid Might Happen If I Ask a New Acquaintance to Get Coffee. Now, first on the list was the fear that you ask the person to coffee, and they just say no. A very valid fear, right? But then the list goes on and on to talk about even more outrageous scenarios, including snakes. <laughs> um, I'm going to list a couple of scenarios that actually, kind of, could happen. Um, just, just to sort of name some. One is that they'll say no and then laugh at me for not having enough existing friends to get coffee with. Or they'll say yes but lack any sort of enthusiasm. And when we actually show, because they're too, de- uh, too polite to decline. And then when uh, we show up, um, I feel very guilty for making the person come out. Anybody ever felt that way? Maybe just me. Um, Another is that they'll say yes, and you'll have a really great time, and you'll talk for hours and hours about all sorts of meaningful things of what it means to live in the city and try to make it, and you'll part by saying, wow, we should really do this again sometime, and then you never hear from them again. Yes, we've experienced that. Another is that they'll think that you're inviting them to coffee because you have a crush on them, (laughs) right? Another fear is that you will develop a crush on them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another is that you'll say yes, and you'll be looking forward to the coffee uh, conversation all week, and then something bad will happen in that day, and it will just kind of derail you, in a way that causes you not to be a good conversationalist, and um, you maybe will hurt their feelings for being uninterested. Has anybody ever had something like that too?
1: This is really weird. I have to say it's
0: really weird preaching to people that are concentrating. I've never, I've never experienced this before. It's great. Um, I'm guessing that maybe some of these experiences are true to us. That maybe we've experienced something like this before. There is a lot of potential for wrong turns and missed signals. There's a lot of potential for hurt feelings or um, just something to go wrong. And yet, there is something within each of us that feels pulled to be in community. There is something within each of us, even the most introverted person, still feels pulled to be connected with other people at times. Even someone that has extreme anxiety, have you heard about the extroverted people who are anxious and how hard that is uh, to have that anxiety and yet still feel called to be with people, with others? I think it's because we are made this way. We are made to be in community with another. I look at The story of creation in Genesis, which is a beautiful story that I always go back to again and again, not because it's a scientifically accurate story, but because it's a story that tells us the truth about who we are. It's a story that uh, in it we are reminded that God says, it is not good to be alone, I will make a companion. We are made to be in community understand God is, you know, we we refer to God as the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is this holy dance of community that we see God to. And we are made in God's image, and so we understand ourselves to be in community, too. It is something that we are made to be. It's in relationships that we get to catch a glimpse of God, right? It's in a relationship that we get to more fully know and understand ourselves, and then, therefore, more fully know and understand God. Spending time in community then becomes a way not just to pass time, but it becomes a spiritual practice of faith. So we're in this sermon series called Adulting Faith. Did Chris ask you to start tweeting and um, checking in on Facebook with the hashtag Adulting Faith? Okay, I might have just made that up with my crew. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, I would encourage you to do that. Look, look this week about ways that you are adulting faith and use that as a hashtag, right? When people will be like, whoa, that's different. It's not adulting, but adulting faith. I think one of the ways that we adult faith is by investing in community, by seeing that relationships help us to catch a glimpse of God's presence in the midst of the community that we're in. So yeah, if you, um, if you see that, take a picture of it, or tweet it, or hashtag it, I think it's a great hashtag. Our scripture passage points to this um, idea that we find protection and meaning in community. Um, and it does it. I don't know if you noticed, but it does it without ever mentioning God. If you notice the book, this particular passage, actually Ecclesiastes, is a book that has, um, it's seen as really strongly secular. Um, I think it might be why it's like the number one wedding passage that um, people, when I I I do weddings, and there's like one person that's from UBC and one person that's not somebody practicing their faith, they'll be like, oh yeah, I think this would be a really good passage because it doesn't mention God at all. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, It is a benign passage that does not rub God in your face, and yet it still speaks to the truth of humanity. It still speaks to the human condition that we are lonely, that we long for community, and that those relationships change us, offering clarity about the meaning of life. Ecclesiastes, it was written as an instruction book. Um, There are a couple of words, there are many words that occur throughout, and I want to point to two of those words. The first is the word hedel in Hebrew. We heard it read today in the passage as vanity, but I don't, like, what does vanity mean? Every time I hear the word vain, I think about, like, Snow White's evil stepmother looking in the mirror all the time. I don't know what you all think about it, but it's not a word that I think about a lot, um, and it... Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of meaning in our culture. Or maybe it does if you're looking at the magazine. Um, Apparently nobody does here. (laughs) Or you're all too busy focusing on your friendship bracelets. Um, There's lots of ideas and disagreement about how to translate that word hevel. Vanity is one of the words. Um, Another another English word that gets used is vaporous. So vanity or vaporous. really i think what the author is trying to convey is absurdity and pointlessness something that's pointless and absurd that's vanity so think about how chap how verse seven sounds then i turned my head and saw absurdity a solitary person completely alone no family no friends yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, and never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog? Never having any fun, and who cares? This is pointless. Pointless. This is absurd. Doesn't that sound make more sense than vanity? The teacher of Ecclesiastes um, tells us that endless, meaningless work That isolation is absurd. Which leads me to the second word, which is amal, and that's the word toil. I think we all know what toil means. It's it's meaningless work. It's work that doesn't satisfy. It's work that produces nothing. We hear it three times in this passage. Our life is centered around weariness and trouble. It's centered around meaningless work, and that is pointless, Ecclesiastes says. What the teacher is trying to tell us is that life is so much more than toil. Life is better lived in pairs and triads. Life is better in community because we can help each other up when one falls down. We can keep each other warm when we're shivering at night. The problem is building community is hard. Yeah. That's a, that was an amen point, but let me try that again. Y'all, see so y'all are, how are you guys doing on this? Okay, so let me try that again. The problem is building community is hard. Part of the reason it's hard is because it requires vulnerability and care for another. Most of us struggle to allow people to see us when we're shivering and need to be warm. I remember uh, when I moved to Atlanta, my first couple of months in seminary, I ended up coming down with a flu bug and I was, it was not pretty, that's all I'll say. (laughs) And I had only been living there for a couple of months, I had a roommate, but it was like, eh, you know, we don't know each other that well, I was so weak and I was a hundred miles away from family and the friends that I would have been okay with asking. To help? Right. And then I had this one friend. You know, like I had made friends at school, but they were friends that I was talking theology with, not friends that I wanted to wipe my brow with after I threw up. Right? There's a difference. And so I was lonely. And I began to think, like, what have I been doing for these past couple of months? I don't have anybody to call. Fortunately for me, though, there was a friend that felt like she knew me well enough to take care of me. She came over and she brought me ginger ale and chicken broth, soup or something like that. She saw me laying in bed in my ugly pajamas with my hair not combed, in need of a shower. And I remember thinking, wow, this is really weird and uncomfortable. I'm used to being a caretaker. But I realized um, when I got over the weirdness and the vulnerability piece, I realized that I had a really great new friend who was a gift to me. I realized I had a friend who saw the worst, maybe not the worst, like, behavioral flaws in me, but the worst, like, lowest point of me, and she still liked me. See, adulting faith is about trusting in the community that is around you that it is a gift from God. It's about taking the risk to ask somebody to help, ask somebody to go to coffee, so that you can build a relationship. Adulting faith is about knowing that um, our identity does not come from toiling, because that's absurd. Our identity is rooted in being a child of God, and as a child of God, we are therefore connected to others. That this community that we are building here in the South Loop, right? that the community you build with your neighbors, it is sheer gift, gift from God. Earlier this week, I, uh, through the power of Facebook, discovered that a friend of mine uh, lost her mom. And she wrote this blog post that felt so relevant to what we're talking about today. I want to read just a, a brief bit about it. She said uh, in the beginning of her blog post, I decided I needed to share this pain that she's in. Not only because it's the most pressing thing on my heart today, but because I need to live what I believe. I believe that we are called to a community as we follow Christ, and that means more than showing up and putting our best foot forward. It also means being honest and real with one another. It means letting people through the door when the house is a wreck or we have yet to shower. It means receiving a hug when we know it will only elicit tears and maybe a snotty, snippling nose. It means confessing our fears and doubts with one another. It means daring to trust even when we've been hurt before. It means accepting grace. When grace is offered, it means all of that and much, much more. Do you see how messy and beautiful it can be to live in community, and yet we are better together, keeping each other warm, helping each other when one falls? There is good reward in friendship, but not in toil. Yeah, we know this, right? We know this, and yet we hold back. I had a conversation with someone the other day that desperately desires friendship, but she doesn't show up to any place she's invited. When I asked her why, she shared that she didn't want to get hurt. She shared, you know, she couldn't even articulate it. I don't know, I guess maybe I'm afraid people won't like me. It was basically that list that I started the sermon out with, she had all sorts of anxiety. Like all these things could happen if I show up. So I'll just stay home and watch Netflix. Netflix is a little higher on the screen. I was going to point to it. (laughs) I'll just stay home and watch Netflix because I can't get hurt that way. But life is better together than alone on your couch. Friendship and community is part of adulting faith because it changes us. (coughs) Friendship gives us a new perspective on reality, and it helps us to grasp a fuller view of God. It's in community that we're spurred to become our best selves. Now, it's not without risks. Look at Jesus. He surrounded himself with friends, and then what happened? They betrayed him. There was pain. But that Possibility can't prevent us from engaging, right? We can't stay safe in order to prevent pain, because that's painful. Friendship can be the palpable hands and feet of Christ when we become weary from the toil and absurdity of our lives. Take that with you, y'all. Friendship is the palpable hands and feet of Christ when we become weary from the toil and absurdity of our lives. So these friendship bracelets, hold them up. How you doing? Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> Uh-oh, you got them on. I was going to offer you to do something else, but that's okay. You can you improv here, oh, you can improv. So friendship bracelets uh, became, you know, really popular in the States, I guess, in the 1970s. But they are, they are ancient. Um, they date back to indigenous cultures in Central and South America. And even back as far as like almost 500 to 200 BC in China. Old stuff, probably not the same kind of yarn back then, but you know, you get it. Now according to tradition, you would, uh, someone would take a bracelet and they would tie it on to someone else And um, as they were tying it on, they would make a wish in that moment for their friend. And then the bracelet was to be worn um, until it was totally worn off, and it fell off by itself. You can't mess with it. it. (laughs) And at that moment, the wish was supposed to come true. Now, I'm not a genie in the bottle sort of wish girl, right? But I am one for talking about blessings. I have one for thinking about blessing another person. We just read uh, that a three-fold cord isn't easily broken. Uh, Y'all have like a six-fold cord. So these bracelets are gonna last a long time. They're strong. Maybe a year even, I don't know. Is anybody a friendship wearer, friendship bracelet wearer? I'm guessing they might even last a year. But I wonder what it would be like to offer this bracelet to a friend, and instead of making a wish for this friend, like I wish you had a million dollars, or I wish you would find a new job, what about if you offered a blessing? A blessing and a commitment to stay in that friendship through the joy and frustrations of life, let me make it real, through the move to different parts of the city, Right? It's hard to stay in touch with friends when they move to like Hyde Park and you live in Rogers Park. Or let me make it real very real, move to the suburbs. and say, I want to bless you with this as a symbol of our friendship. Give thanks to God for the relationship we have, for the ways that you have changed me and shaped me, for the ways that you remind me that life and work is not toil, it is not meaningless, but full of joy and hope and promise. So I bless you with this bracelet. Should we try it? be a blessing to others Amen. and expect in that blessing that you will be released from the ex- absurdity of life and to experience God's love in your relationship Amen, Amen. Oh do I do offering? No <laughs> it's, it, You know our campuses are different yeah. It's fun to, to see that <laughs> and to be called out <laughs> um, so now is the time in our offering where we re- now is the time in our service where we receive the offering if this is your first time here I hope that your offering to us is the tear off that you let your presence be known um, and that you offer that to us if, if you are a regular attender here or a member here we hope that you are uh, prayerfully considering um, and are, are um, giving to the church